If you have your Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 3 this morning. Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to preach on something you've probably never heard before. Although it's nothing new. Probably just never heard it quite like this. Because I've never heard it quite like this. Because I've never said it quite like this. But, uh, anyway... I want to uh, to uh, make you think this morning, and uh, anyway, think about some things that will help us. I believe in our walk with the Lord and with our witness for the Lord. Philippians chapter three and verses. I'm going to read verses one through six. Finally, my brethren, that doesn't mean he's about finished. It just means it's another thought. I'm not finished either. So, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit. And rejoice in Jesus in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. So the title of the message this morning and this morning is Confidence in the Lord. A subtitle might be No Confidence in the Flesh. But confidence in the Lord. No Confidence in the Flesh. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word this morning. We thank you, Father, that we are to study, to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. Father, I pray that you help me to rightly divide thy truth this morning and make it understandable and easy to understand to those that are listening that we'd be encouraged and strengthened and instructed in the, in the ways of the Lord and that you would be glorified and the help we do pray in Jesus' name. You know, Paul gives two kind of conflicting ideas here in these verses. He says to rejoice, two times he says to rejoice in the Lord, uh, verse 1 and also in verse 2. And you, you might be able to, you might in, interchange the word there to rejoice in or have confidence in. And then he also says that we're not to have confidence in the flesh, that would be the contrast to rejoicing or trusting or having confidence in the Lord is to have no confidence in the flesh. And he's writing to them at the church at Philippi and to us today, and and he says, you know, to write the same thing. So he's kind of repeating himself, and he said, it's not grievous; it is profitable to write the same thing. It's for your protection and for your help. It is for your safety, because. He gives three bewares. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. Now, dogs, the definition of dogs here is men are men of impure minds. In words, they're contaminated. Dogs. Sometimes they referred to sodomites in the Old Testament. Of course, in the New Testament, in Luke, the, the, the Gentiles were considered dogs as far as the Jews were concerned. They were outcasts of Israel, and they called them dogs. But here, he's, when he referred to dogs, I believe he's referring to uh, men of corrupt minds in the ministry. In Isaiah chapter 56, the prophet Isaiah warned of dumb dogs when he said in Isaiah 56 and verses 10 through 12, his watchmen 
are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yea, they are greedy dogs, which can never have enough. And they are shepherds, so he's referring to shepherds or pastors. That's the New Testament word for pastor, a shepherd. That cannot understand. They all look to their own way, everyone for his gain from his quarter. Come ye, say they, I will fetch wine. We will fill ourselves with strong drink, and tomorrow shall be as this, this day and much more abundant. So he's comparing the shepherds or the pastors of the Old Testament, the prophets of the Old Testament, he's comparing them to dumb dogs that would not bark. You know, most people, if they had a dog, they wanted it to be a guard dog. Most people want a dog that's, you know, beneficial, has some use, and, you know, that will be a guard dog. And they don't want a dog that when a thief comes, he runs out and wags his tail and, and, you know, and, and licks his hand and all that. No, they want a dog that barks, that warns. Of evil is near. You know, we would say a dog like that is just a worthless mutt. He's worth anything. He's a liability. You know, our world is full of men who call themselves pastors. Who preach only positive things. They're more interested in building churches than they are seeing lives converted and changed for the glory of God. They never mention the thou shalt nots of Scripture, and there are a lot of them. I remember years ago, I called a preacher about a youth activity that my young people had been invited to. And I said, uh, this youth activity involves swimming. And I said, is it mixed swimming? And he stuttered and stammered and stammered and stuttered and stuttered some more. Uh, well, um, uh, I can't really answer that. And then, then, then they say this, you know, this was not made. Well, that's right, you're from the South. As if everybody... You know, if you're from, if you're, if, you know, if you are from somewhere other than Maine and, you know, south of Maine, you were from the south. Uh, you know, I didn't consider myself from the south. I was from Pennsylvania. But, you know, anyone, anywhere south of there. And, but if you had dress standards, often these preachers would say, oh, that's right, you're from the south. And I would say something like that. So you think everybody in the south has dress standards, huh? That just shows you're a dumb dog. That's really what that shows. You know, aren't, I, and I said to this pastor, I said, aren't you casting a stumbling block before your young men by this kind of thing? You know, you know the, these, are, these are dumb dogs. They're contaminated. They won't preach the truth. The thou shalt not so scripture. They won't warn their people. God's sheep of the dangers of the world. As we heard in Sunday school class this morning. You know, Isaiah 58 and verse 1, he says, the prophet Isaiah says, Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, show my people their transgressions and the house of Jacob their sins. You see, a pastor is to warn the sheep of the dangers. So he says, beware of dogs. He also says, beware of evil workers. And this uh, evil worker is, a, again, a false teacher, a false prophet that comes in sheep's clothing. And there are many false prophets in the world. In Matthew chapter 7 and verses uh, 15 and 16, the Lord says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. And, and so 
uh, you know, he warns us of these, these false prophets. And in verses 21 to 23, again, he says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. It's not just what you say, it's what you do. There needs to be a, a life, a, a, a ministry that demonstrates the truth. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in that name? So there would be preachers. In thy name have cast out devils, and thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And so these are evil workers. Paul calls them evil workers. They have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof, but deny the reality of the, or the necessity of the new birth. You know, we would call them today marketers of the gospel. Our world is full of marketers of the gospel. Just this last week, this past week, I, I went on a, a church website. Well, they call it a church. And they just had in-person services for the first time. I think it was Easter Sunday. And uh, across their campuses, they have like six campuses, they call them. And, and the guy, the, the, the so-called pastor said, that the, the wonderful thing is we had 50 people say yes to Jesus. What do I mean to say yes to Jesus? Oh, they, they crossed the faith line. Now, if you're crossing a line, so the line is over there, that register. So if you're crossing your line, you're making progress toward it, right? And then at some point, you step across. Does that sound like Bible salvation? Of course, the lead pastor, John Fuller was his name, made a statement I saw some time ago that your journey with Jesus begins when you realize you're a work in progress and you're not content to stay that way. So you're making progress, but when your journey with Jesus begins when you learn, when you learn that, that, that you're, not, or you're not content to stay where you are, so you're going to continue to make progress. That's a works gospel. That's a works gospel. Say yes to Jesus. I remember I was on that website one time and on the, I saw a Facebook page and, and somebody, and they were talking about these people that crossed the faith line and, 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 and one guy wrote into their Facebook page and says, what's that supposed to mean? It's so vague it has no meaning whatsoever. What about Repentance. Of course, there was no answer. Kind of reminds me of the the man who uh, I knew a pastor went to New Hampshire, I think it was, or Vermont. I think it was Vermont. He pastored a church for a few years, and and uh, in the time there was the uh, there was a uh, of course the liberal preacher, more liberal preacher, and um, he was. In, in this time, there was a lot of colleges around that area, and there was these intellectual people. And, and so he had talked to this other pastor one day, and, and this pastor was telling him, you can't, you can't talk to these people like you can to most people. You have to be real subtle with giving them the gospel. He said, you just sort of have to sneak up on them with Jesus. And he said, I said to him, well, how's that working for you? Um, not real good. See, these, these, our world is full of men that are preaching a false gospel. But I want you to notice the third, third group, and I'm going somewhere with this. I'm going to, I'm going to bring this all together. He, he says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. Now this is a clear reference to the Jews. The, the, he uses the word concision here, and, and then he, and in verse three, he noticed, for we are the circumcision. So he's connecting that to the concision. But this concision really literally means a cutting off or mutilating. And it's referring to circumcision. And, he's, and, and, and so what he's, what he's saying here is that theologically, and the metaphor is here, that this teaching that these Jews had, that, you know, that, and they taught this in scripture, that, you know, oh yeah, you need to believe in Jesus as a Messiah, but you first must be circumcised to really become a Christian. 
And, and Paul's saying, that's like just, that's just uh, delegating circumcision to just a mutilation of the body. It's of no avail, of no effect. In other words, you're mutilating the gospel. You're destroying the gospel. You're corrupting the gospel is what he's saying here. And so he says, beware of those who are corrupting the gospel. We find this, of course, recorded for us in Acts chapter 15. You remember these people came to Antioch and they taught the people that except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension, disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other men should go up to Jerusalem under the apostles and elders about this question. So, so these, Paul and, and Barnabas confronted these Jews who were teaching this false doctrine, and 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 they they uh, challenged them on it. And of course, there was a, they then had a a conference at Jerusalem to settle this question, of which they the church at Jerusalem said that yes, Paul and Barnabas were correct. They were preaching the, the clear gospel, and these that went out from us have troubled you. In other words, they weren't sent; they just went. And then notice what Paul concludes here with in verse 3. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Now, when he says beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, and beware of concision, you could sum all those three up by saying this, they're putting confidence in the flesh. They're not putting confidence in Christ. You know, this is this is really a problem in our day. Maybe just from a different perspective. I heard a radio preacher, a Christian radio station some years ago, and the guy said, we don't need the law. We don't need the law. In fact, I had a preacher say that in my presence while I recorded him on tape. That we don't need the law. We don't need the Old Testament. You know, and this preacher went on to say, we have it written in our heart. Now let me ask you something. What's the Bible say about your heart? Is that a reliable source? But you know, that's a lot of what, that's what a lot of people are relying on for their Christian living and their own salvation, their own heart. People will say this, well, we've prayed about it. Do we rely on prayer to decide what the will of God is? Do we rely on fasting and prayer to decide or determine what the will of God is? Now, you ought to pray and fast about doing the will of God, but it's not through your praying that you determine the will of God. The will of God is determined by the Word of God. Because you can be self-deceived in your praying. If we were to determine the will of God by our fasting and prayer alone, I mean, the Pharisees did that. But they didn't obey the word of God. And they didn't do the will of God. See, this is what a lot of people do. And they say, we don't need the law. Well, where do we learn that God is holy? Is it not the law of God? You see, this, this philosophy that is prevalent in our world today is, that, is mutilating. It's destructive. It's, it's damaging to the truth of the gospel. And, of course, this is the, this is the root of easy believism. This philosophy. 
You know, Romans chapter 8, verse 2 says this. For, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. You know, it is true. We are not saved by keeping the law. The law, when we get saved, God has set us free from the condemnation of the law. We are free from the curse of the law. Notice what it says there again. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. In other words, I'm no longer under the curse of death. It doesn't say that the law has no help or bearing on my life. It just simply says I'm free from the law of sin and death. Romans 10.4 For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. In other words, I am not made righteous by keeping the law. That's legalism. That's what the Pharisees did. They thought that that by keeping the law, they were right with God. No, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. He is my righteousness, not what I do. So Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believe it. Galatians 2.16 knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have, believed in, we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. And we can't get any clearer than that. We're not justified by the works of the law. But it doesn't say that God's law is not profitable to us to guide us into what is sanctified living. It just just says we're not justified. In other words, we're not declared righteous by the works of the law, by keeping the law. I'm not saved because I have standards. I'm not saved because I try to keep biblical standards. That doesn't save me. I am saved because I have put my trust in faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's it. Therefore, I am justified, declared righteous in the sight of God. Galatians 3.13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made, the curse, again, the curse of the law is death, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. So we are not saved, we are not justified, we are not born again, by keeping the law. But that doesn't throw the law out the door and say we don't need it. It's not what it says. But let me ask you this question. How are you and I sanctified? In other words, how are you and I, how do you and I learn To live pleasing to God. Is it not by examining the word of God? The law of God? The law of God tells us what pleases God. And what not pleases God. And so, by the law of God, we learn, as God's children, how to please God. So we are sanctified. And that's that's a continual process. We are sanctified... It's like, you know, another word would be we are, we grow by learning the law of God, which declares to us God's holiness. John 17, 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. John 17, 19. For their sakes, for their sakes, I sanctify myself. They also may be sanctified through the truth. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. Hmm. Where did we learn that we shouldn't fornicate? Is it the law of God? Yeah. See, that's living. That's learning to live by the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. See, the letter of the law says... I've got to do this, this, and this, and this, like the Pharisees, to be saved, to be accepted with God. The Spirit of the law says, I want to please God. I desire, 
I, the Spirit of God, lives within me, and I have a desire to please God. Therefore, I want to know what pleases God and strive to do it. Again, the guy that said, we don't need the law. To him, I would say, 1 Corinthians 9.21. Remember, Paul said this to the church of Corinth. To them that are without law, as without law. Then he said this. Being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ. So he didn't live like a lawless person. He didn't cast aside God's law to try and reach those who, the, the Gentiles, he didn't violate God's commandment to try and reach the Gentiles. He didn't compromise his, his faith. No, he said, I just live in a way that pleases God. I don't forsake God's commandments, but you know, I don't live as a Jew when I'm trying to reach the Gentiles. I don't even talk about my Jewish heritage. You know, what is the law of Christ? Well, go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> Matthew 5, verse 17. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I came not. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Verily I say unto you, to heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass in law to all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. You see, the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees was all related to what they were doing. Their works. And Jesus said, your righteousness is going to have to exceed that. You're going to have to go beyond that. The best of men is not good enough. What you need is the righteousness of Christ. And then he goes on and says, You have heard that it was said of them by old time, Thou shalt not kill. Whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. But I say unto you, Whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the counsel. Whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if I bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way, and first be reconciled to thy brother, then come and offer thy gift. I agree with thine adversary quickly whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to judge, the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto you, Thou shalt by no means come out thence, till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, Whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery already with her in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee. And for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, not that whole body shall be cast into hell, and so on. And he goes on. So what he's doing here says it's not just the act of the law, but the thoughts about it. So Jesus strengthened the law, and he says, you know, if if you are if you're going to live in the spirit of the law, you're going to be careful of your not only your actions. See, the Pharisees were outwardly outwardly religious. But Jesus said inwardly they were full of dead man's bones. In other words, behind the scenes they were doing all this wickedness. And they were wicked in heart. And it showed itself, manifested itself in the crucifixion of Christ. He said you need to change your heart. You need to have a will that's surrendered. See, the Pharisees didn't have a will that surrendered. And the righteousness of scribes and Pharisees, again, was the works. They trusted their good deeds, their law-keeping as their salvation. You know, that is works. And I fear that's what many fundamentalist Baptist churches have and are doing. All of us have been taught this probably. 
You just need to pray and ask Jesus into your heart. You ought to learn somewhere along the way. That's not even in the Bible. Nor is it theologically correct. There's nowhere in the Bible that says you need to ask Jesus in your heart. It says you need to believe in your heart. Another quote, Romans 10, 9, 10, which says, Thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart. Believe in thine heart, not receive him into your heart. It's not theologically correct. How do you do that? See, that becomes a work. And I'm convinced. Yeah, again, probably most of us have been taught this, but it's confusing to people. And I'm convinced that's why many young people grow up in independent Baptist churches and when they become adults, they leave. See, salvation is not something we do. It's not something we pray to receive. I know that sounds shocking, but it isn't. It's not something we pray. There's nowhere in the Bible that you find somebody praying and asking the Lord to save them. The, 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 the uh, Samaritan woman didn't pray a prayer. She just went away and told all the, all the men, come see a man that told me all that I ever did is not this the Christ. That's what she did. The Ethiopian eunuch, he didn't pray a prayer. Philip simply said to him, he said, what the thinner be baptized? And he said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. And they went down in the water and Philip baptized him. You know, in Acts chapter 6, let's, let's look at a few verses of Scripture. Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. This is, again, this is, this is what we see in Scripture. And again, probably all of us were not taught this. Acts chapter 2, verse, uh, you know, verse 38, verse 37, 38, says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts, said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And in verse 41 it says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now, what you find here is that these people received his word. They asked, what should we do? Peter says, you need to repent and be baptized. Now, repentance is a change of mind. You need to change your mind. Here's what they need to change your mind about. Look at verse 34. For David is not ascended into heaven itself, into the heavens, but he saith unto himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. You repent of who you believe Jesus is. You change your mind about that. He was not just a man that you crucified. You crucified the Lord, the Christ, the anointed of God. You change your mind about that. Repent. And then he says, same thing John the Baptist said to him, you do works that prove your repentance and be baptized. What's baptism? Your baptism is a picture of death. Now, do you determine or decide when you're going to die? Do you bury yourself? Do you give yourself new life? None of those are works. That's only something God can give you. And salvation is new life. 
Only God can give life. In Acts chapter 6, verse 7, it says that many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now, that word obedient there means that it means to hearken to a command to submit to. See, salvation is new life given when we hearken to his command. And the Samaritan woman hearkened to the command of the Lord. Jesus said unto her, I am he. And then she went away. She just went away and told everybody, is not this the Christ? Is not this the Christ? You see, salvation, I was thinking about this and going through some different things in the Bible. Salvation is life received. Only God can give life. John 1.12, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Salvation is something we believe, which means we trust in, we put our dependence upon, on the death and resurrection of Christ on our behalf. That's what salvation is. It's not receiving Christ into your heart. It's putting your faith and trust in the work of Christ on your behalf. John chapter 20 Verses 30 and 31, the Apostle John said this, Many of the signs truly did Jesus in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Ephesians 1, 12 and 13 says, That we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted. That means to put, again, put your, your dependence upon. First trusted in Christ, whom also... Ye trusted after that that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that ye believe ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So salvation is something we believe in or we trust in, we put our dependence upon. Salvation is by repentance, which means we yield or submit to. When Peter told them in, in Acts 2, verse 38, that they needed to repent, in other words, he was telling you need to yield to or submit to God. You need to believe what I told you of who Jesus is, that He is both Lord and Christ. See, they had re- that's why they crucified Him. He claimed to be God, and they rejected that. They would not believe it. He said, you need to repent. You need to believe that He is both Lord and Christ. You know what easy believism does? It takes out the Lord. No repentance. Just say yes to Jesus just sounds so easy. What about the Lord part? Again, repentance takes place in the mind. And they need to change their minds about the person of Christ. And then when he said you need to be baptized, it proved that they believed that Jesus was the they demonstrated that's what Philip sought from the Ethiopian eunuch he wanted to see that he believed that Jesus was the Christ the Lord again none of these things do you do yourself do you yield when you yield let's say you're Okay, you're you're driving down the road. You come to a yield sign. What does that mean? You give place to somebody else. So yielding is not really an action word. It's a. It's like it's like you stay. You submit to. You know, a person can say the sinner's prayer a hundred times and still not be saved if you're not repentant. Pastor David Wells read an article some time ago. He said, soul winning or salesmanship? And he quotes the typical, do you believe you have ever done anything wrong? You know, a lot of, you know, they, 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 they taught us you know, one of the things that was promoted by the 
the soul of the Lord and Hal's Anderson crowd was, you know, you need to be all positive. And, and you, they taught us to be all, taught us to be all positive and to have, you know, and be very zealous uh, given the gospel. I remember one pastor saying one time, he went out there to the pastor's school in Indiana and he said, uh, he said, they'll have you so pumped up, you'll, you'll witness to trees. And I thought to myself, sounds to me like they're just playing crazy. He said, it goes like this. Do you believe you have ever done anything wrong that you are a sinner? Well, of course, nobody, you know, everybody, everybody would say, yes, I, you know, I'm, I'm a sinner. You believe that Jesus died on the cross to take away those sins? Well, yeah. Did, then we just bow your head with me and repeat a short prayer. Now you're saved. Well, I am? Yes, the Bible says you're saved. Don't you believe the Bible? Well, of course. Then you are saved, right? Right. Uh, he said, what's wrong with this salesmanship? What's missing? He says, what's missing is there's no genuine repentance toward God. No one can be saved without a recognition of sin toward God and repentance of turning away from that sin. It's quite obvious that when someone is asked if they have ever done anything wrong, they are going to say yes. However, to agree lightheartedly that you have erred and to experience the convicting influence and power of the Holy Spirit are two completely different things. Yeah, we can only understand our sin when we have some comprehension of God's holiness and how it offends Him. And the Spirit of God has to reveal that to a person. said the second emphasis of evil believism is door-to-door method of soul winning is is uh, what's missing is the acknowledgement of the lordship of christ to coax someone into lightheartedly admitting that jesus is savior is missing the target entirely jesus is first and foremost lord then savior as one falls at the feet of christ experiencing the conviction of the holy spirit realizing the all-encompassing lordship of christ he is then in a position to accept Christ as Savior. And so on. We see, this is what Paul's warning about here. You know, the typical track, and I took a couple pictures of this. This is what a typical track used to include. You know, I'm quoting from this track. Jesus wants to save you from hell, take you to heaven when you die. Who would not want that? Will you receive Jesus into your heart and life right now? Romans 10, 13. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You could pray, Lord Jesus, I realize I'm a sinner. Forgive me for my sins. Come into my heart and save me now. Take me to heaven when I die. Thank you for saving me from saving me in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's no repentance anywhere in this. There's no understanding given of who God is or who Jesus Christ is. And Paul says this in verses 4 through 6, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisees, concerning zeal, persecuting the truth, church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. If you want to have confidence in the flesh, I'm it. I was it. That's not where it is. You see, salvation is a command of God. Acts 17.30 says, He hath commanded all men everywhere to repent. Brother Robert, when you were in the military, if they gave you a command, what was your option? That's your option. It's either you repent, or it's hell. See, a command is something we are to obey yield to. Salvation is something we are to yield to. 
We're yield to it. It's to be obeyed. Second Thessalonians 1 8. Second Thessalonians 1 8. Paul wrote to the church of Thessalonica and he said this in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And salvation, my friend, is in Christ. Look at verses 7 through 9 of Philippians 3. What things were gained to me, those I count lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. You know, one of the things Paul had to come to believe in was that Jesus was Lord. You remember on the road to Damascus, and this is what he said, Who art thou what? Lord. See, a person for truly be born again, they have to understand that Jesus is the Lord. He's the Lord. How do they understand that? By the Word of God. Giving them the law of God. Showing them from the Scriptures. You know, our attitude toward the law is very telling. Again, we're not saved by keeping the law. If your attitude toward the law is, I must keep it, or because I keep the law, I am saved, and that's worse. If your attitude is, the law has no value for me, it has no bearing or instruction for my Christian life, That's easy believism. That's a false Christianity. If your if your attitude is is how I feel the Spirit leads me, or through praying about it, then what you're having confidence is is your own self, and that's a works of the flesh. Paul said, "I don't have any confidence in my flesh." What I do have confidence in is this. Verse 8. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. Where do you learn about Christ? Where do you learn what pleases Christ? Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. This righteousness is of God. It's not confidence in myself. It's relying on the word of God. That law that God gave me teaches me how to live to please God. As a Christian, it teaches me how to live pleasing to the Lord. So don't have confidence in the flesh. You know, Zephaniah, well, let me go to, go to Luke chapter 6, and I'm about finished here. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, and verses 46 to 49. The Lord says this, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me, and heareth my sayings, and doeth them, I will show you to whom is like. So whoever comes to me, hearkens to my word, receives me as their Lord and Savior, this is what he's like. He's like a man which built his house, and dig deep, and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house, and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that, he, he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. So a person who hears the word of God, he takes heed to it, he hearkens to it, he obeys it, he receives the truth, 
And he was, he is one that builds his life. His life is governed by the word of God, by the law of God. As a child of God, his life is governed by the law of God. But he that does not receive it is a person who hears the word, but he doesn't do it. His life is not governed, and you can give him the scriptures, and they just kind of ignore them. That's your opinion. And they, you know, when when confronted about something, they choose the way of the world over the clear commands of God. And Jesus is saying here, they're just like this man who hears, who's been instructed about how to build a strong house, but he doesn't do it. And as soon as storms of life come, he goes to the world. Trial, suffering, hardship, persecution for the cause of Christ, he goes to the world. If it's what I want, what my feelings want, versus what the Word of God says, go to the world. Go to the world. That is confidence in the flesh. And the Lord says, we need to have confidence in Him, not in our flesh. So what are you building your life on? Are you building your life on Christ as Lord and Savior? Or are you trusting in what you did? A prayer. Or something that you did or something you are doing. To save you. Where is your confidence? Where is your dependence?